When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In Canyonlands in the Needles District, that Chesler Park joint trail loop, even though we've almost died more than once doing that hike, mm-hmm. we always go back and do it. Always. Well, and we drag people with and us We now, take people friends. with us now. And uh, <laughs> we almost killed John and Lolly on that trail because we were hiking at a 103 degree temperature. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that's that's one. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Welcome to our mailbag episode, where we answer questions about the national parks, road trips, camping, backpacking, gear, relationships, and pretty much whatever anyone wants to ask us. On this episode, we'll be sharing some ideas about what to do if you see someone breaking the rules in a national park, especially when it comes to some of the more extreme infractions like defacing artifacts, harassing wildlife, and making illegal campfires. And on a lighter note, we'll answer a question about when we use our trekking poles and when we leave them at home, based on the trail conditions. We'll also give our opinion on a listener's national park itinerary and suggest some possible alternatives. Plus, a list of some of our favorite hikes that we do over and over again and never get tired of. All this and more coming up next. Before we get started with Mailbag today, I have some important park news to announce. That sounds serious. Do we need some kind of fanfare for this announcement? I think that would be nice. What do you have for me? Ta-da! How's that? You like that? Wait. I think we can do better than that. That was perfect. Okay. Yosemite National Park finally announced that they will be having a day-use reservation system going into effect for the summer. Of 2022. That's right. Didn't they just announce that? Like, they waited to announce that just the day after we did our Yosemite episode. (laughs) I know. For weeks while I was working on the outline, I, I kept looking at the Yosemite National Park website to see if there was an announcement because all the other parks that are having their day use reservations announced it. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't announce it. And sure enough, yeah, the day after they announced that there is one. Do you think they did that on purpose to just make you mad? Do you think that Yosemite National Park 
is one of our seven listeners. Yeah, I think they're just sitting around. <laughs> they're toying with us. Yeah, seeing how they can mess with us. Yeah. So here's how it's going to work. A reservation will be required to drive into Yosemite National Park from May 20th through September 30th, 2022. For those of you driving into the park between 6 a.m. and 4 p.m., and when you get this day-use reservation, it will be valid for three consecutive days. What if you go in before 6 or after 4? What well, that, happens then, Karen? Well, then you can get in. So that's how you can get around it. You sneak in. You sneak well, in. Well, you don't even have to sneak in. No. You just go boldly in before <laughs> 6 a.m. or after 4 p.m. Right. That might be a little difficult for you because, you know. Going boldly? No, getting up early. I'm an early riser. I'm the one who makes coffee in our house. Oh, that's true. I wake you up to a fresh <laughs> cup of coffee every morning. You don't even know how when I wake up. I could wake up at 3 a.m. every morning just, All right, to, that's, just to grow okay, the beans okay. and, and grind them just right. All right. It's me. It's me that doesn't want to show up before that's 6 correct. a.m. That's correct. That is correct. I was trying to pawn that off on you. Okay. But just note that if you are going to Yosemite and you have a reservation for any of these following places, you do not need an additional reservation. And that would be if you have a reservation at Curry Village, Housekeeping Camp, Yosemite Valley Lodge, the Awani, White Wolf Lodge, Tuolumne Meadows Lodge, or Wawona Hotel. That's it. What about the campground? Also, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you have reservations at a Yosemite campground or if you have a permit for Half Dome or a wilderness permit, you also don't need a day use reservation if you have any of those things. What if you have a note from your mom? <laughs> what if you just write a note that says, what if you just show up and you're belligerent and say, I own this park because I'm a taxpayer? Would that get you in? <laughs> No, I don't think so, Matt. You don't think? But the note from your mom, maybe. You could try that. <laughs> My mom. <laughs> a note from Matt's mom. Uh -huh. Everybody, just let me know. Email me. Uh, if you need a note from my mom, mm -hmm. she'll she'll write these out. And Nancy, send, Nancy, send Smith. those to you. Yes, she will. All right, that's that's it. That's it. it's been a pretty short mailbag episode yeah, this this it. week. See you next week. That's the big news. All right, Matt, we have a lot of great questions. Should we get started? You ready? <laughs> you I, awake over there? <laughs> I am. No, I was just. I just noticed an interesting new YouTube video, and I. <laughs> was distracted are you with me <laughs> I'm, tr I'm trying bring on the questions karen okay. you're the question keeper okay this is a really great question well they're all really great questions but this is a very thoughtful question this might take us a while to answer this one so bear with us okay it's from ethan and he wrote how can we deal with poor stewards and then he put in parentheses assholes that's his word in our parks and public lands when it comes to pictures of people destroying petroglyphs and other artifacts how can we as not officials stop them additionally nothing angers me more than morons especially my younger entitled tiktok generation approaching wildlife a few months ago, I was in the Smokies at Cades Cove, and this very unintelligent family was treeing two juvenile black bears. It drove me absolutely mad. I really didn't know what to do, so I pulled over to yell at them and then eventually had to go up to them and almost intimidate them to leave. So basically, my question is, how do we deal with people who are disrespecting the history and wildlife of these great places without potentially getting into confrontations. 
Wow. I know. This sounds like an email that I would have written. (laughs) (laughs) Every other day for the last (laughs) six years. But I was thinking the same thing. Did you write this one, Matt? No, I didn't. (laughs) But I know how upset people can get. And it is... It can be aggravating um, and disheartening sometimes, and we have some we have some tips on how to approach these situations. But we we have to say that most visitors are not like that. That said, it doesn't take but a few. Yeah, we struggle with this almost every time we go to a national park, and of course, there are varying degrees. You know, frequently we see people breaking the rules when it comes to dogs. They either have their dog on in a no-dog area or they have their dog off-leash in a leashed area. So there, you know, there's that. But then, of course, there are much more serious things that people are doing, you know, as you mentioned, Ethan, like defacing the petroglyphs. We were in a national forest over the summer in Idaho, and we came upon someone who had built a campfire right in the middle of a huge wildfire season. Built a campfire on a red flag warning day mm-hmm. in a national forest that currently had several active wildfires going. And I approached him and said, you know, this is not, I, I don't think this is allowed considering that we're in a fire danger area. He laughed, he turned his music up louder, and then danced around the fire. Yeah. yeah, that's the kind of behavior that sometimes we run into. But you, Matt, you actually did what you were supposed to do. So, Ethan, we forwarded your letter to a law enforcement park ranger friend of ours named Sarah. She's a park ranger in one of the Utah parks. And, and I'm going to read her response in a second. But one of the things she mentioned that you did, Matt, is document what you see. In other words, take photos or take videos. Yeah, in that particular case, I did. I took a couple photos and a a short video, and fortunately, we ran into a ranger later on in our hike on our way back to the trailhead and was able to show the ranger, you know, this person, and he was going to go have a talk with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was, the ranger was very calm and mature about it, but he did say, he goes, "I, I run into this every day. And so he was unfortunately very uh, experienced with this kind of thing. And he said he's been up there often putting out people's campfires. But uh, that allowed him to know exactly who, who to speak with. Exactly. So let me, let me read you Sarah's response here. Her advice is this. First, the person should get as much information as possible in a safe way. Photos of the activity, photos of individuals, license plate number, vehicle make, model, color, which park, where in the park. And then she wrote information, information, information. Second, try to find a law enforcement ranger in the park or go to the visitor center and they can summon one. Third, if they can't find a ranger in the park, they can send the information to the NPS website. And then this will be forwarded to the parking question and rangers will go from there. Now, she did send me a link. I'm not going to read off the entire link to the website. If you Google NPS, submit a tip, it will take you to this website where you can submit your tip. Now, she goes on to say at the end, 
This is Sarah again. When I worked at Grand Canyon National Park, we often got cases that way. I actually wrote a guy a series of tickets for hitting a golf ball into the Grand Canyon. We received that tip via the website from someone who saw the incident on the guy's Facebook page. So those are the kinds of things you can do when there's pretty serious violations of, you know, sometimes like we saw a person had a fire yeah, in a fire danger area on a red flag warning day. Like that's putting other people's lives at risk. There. Well, well, exactly. And I think that's kind of the determination. Is this something very serious that is either putting people's lives in danger or defacing a cultural treasure that will now be ruined forever? I think those are things that we all need to act on. That being said, I, I think everyone needs to approach this with what they're comfortable with because none of us know the mental stability or instability of the people that we're confronting. Yeah, there are there's sometimes where you see certain behavior where it's it's just not good for anyone to intervene. And if you can get a photo, you can get some information, give it to a, a ranger or a law enforcement ranger later. That's that's the way to go about it. But you gotta be careful who you're interacting with. Yeah, it depends on your comfort level. It also depends on if you happen to be hiking by yourself or maybe maybe you're with a group of people and there's safety in numbers. So every situation is unique. But Ethan, we feel your pain because we do struggle with that. And it's extremely infuriating to see people out there with this blatant disregard for for the rules and and for our parks in general, even if it's just something like throwing their trash and, and toilet paper and dirty diapers and things like that. Even though it's Karen's dream to be an off-duty ranger so she can write tickets to everyone she sees breaking the rules, if the situation is serious, it's best to locate a real ranger, a law enforcement ranger. I would agree. Yeah, and if you... If you wonder which ones are the law enforcement rangers, it's easy to tell if you see one. They have a gun. They're federal law enforcement officers. They have a gun. They're different than the interpretive rangers and folks that do maintenance and and other park employees. When we have confronted people, we have gotten a wide range of responses, anywhere from um, the person completely ignores us to the person tells us to F off, to the person, you know, maybe actually does stop and and they leash up their dog when we point out that the dog needs to be on a leash. So there is a a wide range, but you just don't know. You you don't know how that person is going to take what you have to say to them. So it is a really, it's a tough call. And I think everyone has to kind of do what they're comfortable with. Yeah, just, you, you just have to Determine what the right response is for any given situation. Right. So thank you, um, Ethan, for the question. And thank you, Sarah, for the answer. Uh, I think it's it's always best for it to come from the from the professional. And that would not be that would not it's be not, Matt and I. It's not us. <laughs> We're not professional at anything. <laughs> no, no, for sure. <laughs> okay, Karen, what's our next question? Our next question comes from Jean, who lives in Texas, and she asks us, when do you use hiking poles? I bought some and tried them out at McKittrick Canyon in Guadalupe Mountains National Park. We hiked the Notch Trail, which was eight miles, and they seemed cumbersome. I thought I would like them for balance and to help distribute the muscles I'm using to climb, not just my leg muscles. They ended up in my backpack most of the way. Hmm. Hmm. So hiking poles, trekking poles is what Jean is asking about. 
Yeah, so there are times when I feel exactly like Gene. And I have trekking poles. I take them with me on most trips. I don't take them on a lot of hikes because sometimes I think they're cumbersome. And I know, Karen, you you take them almost all the time. So we give you two different perspectives. The way I like to use them is if we're going up uh, steep elevation, I do feel that I can spread the work across my arms and my legs and you might not feel it at the end of the hike, but maybe that's the point, right? Is that mm-hmm. you're not feeling it that much because your arms helped you, uh, particularly on, on the climb. The other thing on steep elevations, on the way down, sometimes it's really hard on your knees to be stepping you know, a foot or two feet down every step and banging your knees. And the, the trekking poles help you brace yourself and land a little bit more gently when you're taking those big steps down, especially when you're doing, you know, a couple of miles of this. When we right. when we hiked Mount St. Helens, I, I wouldn't have survived without my trekking poles. And they are kind of a pain. Sometimes you you want your hands free to, mm. to climb over boulders, but to be able to uh, brace yourself when you're coming down. I also like them if I know we're doing a lot of water crossings because I can tell the depth of the water and it does give you more support. But that's kind of the only time I use them. Yeah, it seems like you you usually do not have them. I used to use them all the time. And then I kind of stopped because I also found them cumbersome. And not just that, but we hike on a lot of really rocky trails. And what would happen is every time I planted my trekking pole, the tip would get stuck in between the rocks and it would break my stride as I tried to pull them out. And then it was driving me crazy. So I stopped for most of them, except for the steep uphill and downhill. Like you said, Matt, you know, hiking down the Grand Canyon, down to Phantom Ranch and back up, they're a lifesaver. So I think it does depend on where you're hiking. You know, it also depends on your physical ability. I think they're helpful for hikers who might have balance issues. You know, maybe the thing to do is for beginning hikers is is do some hikes and then see if if you feel like you need them and they would help you before you invest in a $100 pair of trekking poles. And another tip that People might not know, but we just throw it out anyway. I always put those rubber tips on the end of my trekking poles in the summer, especially when it's rocky, because I just, I hate that feeling of that sharp point on the rocks. And so I like having those rubber tips. I really only take those rubber tips off for the very rare times where we have ice when we're doing something that's icy. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that, that grip. Now, that said, I have noticed that some of those rubber tips, if you use them when it's really cold, like in snow or something like that, that rubber tip gets hard and it shrinks and it fall, they'll, they'll fall off. And that brings me to the other time that I like to use my trekking poles is when we snowshoe. I, I think for me, it adds a lot of stability in the snow, you know, to, to have those on both sides of me. So I, I do take them on snowshoe hikes. If you're going to use them for snow, you got to make sure you put those baskets on them. The trekking poles will come with a set of baskets in the wintertime. You want to clip those on because that you, you kind of need that to push down in the snow. Otherwise, your trekking pole just kind of go right through the snow. Right. Absolutely. So I should mention for those of you who are shopping for trekking poles, you know, there are a lot of great brands out there. We like the Black Diamond trekking poles. And I especially like, you know, they're adjustable. They're they're usually two places where you can uh, make them longer and shorter. 
I used to have one where it was a twist mechanism, uh, you know, and then you'd slide them up and down and retwist it. And and I, I don't know why I struggled with that. And I, you always had to do well, it. Well, actually, you didn't struggle with it because you would just hand me your poles and I would struggle with the screw type. And then finally, I bought for you as a gift the cam type or the clip type where it's a nice easy clip that opens then you can slide your poles anywhere you want and then clip it and it locks in the the length right now i don't have to set up your poles for you right it's a hinged lever that you open uh and shut and it's so easy it's a dream but um yeah we understand what you're saying gene about them being cumbersome sometimes but don't put them up for sale on ebay there are definitely places where trekking poles come in handy yeah, if you do enough hiking over the years, you will find times where even if you don't use your trekking poles very often, there are there are going to be a few hikes where you're really glad you had them. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay. So enough about trekking poles. Okay. Karen, what else we got in the mailbag? Okay. This one is about a particular park itinerary. This was interesting. It comes from Kristen. And this is what she wrote. We are planning our third national park trip for mid-June, but this time we are flying to Phoenix, driving to Grand Canyon for one day, then Death Valley for two days, Sequoia two days, Kings Canyon one day, and Yosemite three days, and then leaving from Fresno. We'd like your opinion on our time frame. Would you suggest grouping certain parks together? We understand the amount of driving time between parks and hotels, but we're just looking for an opinion. Maybe our idea is a little crazy. I like when Matt said it depends on the kind of experience, and we will be choosing one hike in a couple of the parks and just easy sightseeing from lookouts on the drive through a lot of the parks. We like to hike, but so far our biggest hike was to the Mount LeConte Summit in Smoky Mountain National Park, which is nothing too crazy. Wow, that itinerary covers a lot of ground. It does. And I do have to say, when Kristen first sent this email to us, she did not mention when she was going, what month this was. So I emailed her back because our answer depended very heavily on what month she was going. So I added in there the mid-June because she wrote me back and told me. So that's key. If you send us questions, please let us know when you're going because obviously things change by time of year. Right. So we have several suggestions and answers to the various parts of the question. Well, the first thing that jumps out at us is that uh, you're going to Death Valley in June. That's uh, <laughs> Death Valley in June is like an oven, and chances are you'd bake like a potato there. A very crispy potato. Yeah. It's going to be very warm. 
in June, it could be 110 degrees. That's the average temperature. Which is is the average. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be dangerously hot. So you might want to do Death Valley on a different trip and skip that on this itinerary. So if you're going to take out Death Valley, again, you could drive through Death Valley, but there is no way you're going to get out and hike in 110 degrees. So you could still keep your itinerary, but flying to Phoenix, driving up to the Grand Canyon, then driving through Death Valley to get all the way over to Sequoia is really a long amount of time and effort. So I think if you are going to take our advice and skip Death Valley, maybe you want to rework this trip and save the Grand Canyon for another time. Yeah, I'm not sure I would put the Grand Canyon and then the Sequoia, Kings Canyon, uh, Yosemite parks together in the same trip. I don't know, Kristen, if you heard our episode number 61, which was called An Epic Road Trip Through Northern Arizona, but we talked about a fantastic itinerary where you fly into Phoenix and you see all these incredible parks and you do a big loop for a week. So when you're going to go to the Grand Canyon, whether it's this June or you put it off another year, there are great, great parks right there that you can add to that. And also, on the flip side then, if you do want to go to the Sequoia and Kings Canyon in Yosemite, you could fly in and out of Fresno and do some other California parks. Yeah, you could. You could do. Uh, you could go over to Pinnacles, which is only, what, about two hours away from Fresno? Yeah, and uh, we thought that was a great park. Yeah, it's, it's not all the way on the West Coast, but it's on the western side of the, the state. And you can also dr- then drive up. Uh, the coast. You could go up Highway 1 to see Redwoods National Park. You could even, on your way doing that, there's also Point Reyes, which is right on the coast, which is a National Park Service unit. There's a lot of things to do in California. I, I, I don't know that I would put those California parks and Grand Canyon in the same itinerary. I agree. Plus, if you haven't already looked into it, I know every time that we look at renting a car at one airport and then we drop it at another airport, there's quite a bit of sticker shock on the price of that. You might as well just buy a car (laughs) in one city and sell it in the other and you'd be better off. (laughs) Yeah. So let's assume that you're going to take our advice, which probably nobody does, (laughs) and you're going to go to all the California parks. So just a couple of things to mention. Uh, As we said before, we just came out with a Yosemite episode, that's number 70, where we talk about five areas of the park that you could visit uh, and take five days. So I know you said three days in Yosemite, which is great, but you could could take some of those uh, Grand Canyon and Death Valley days and spend even two more days there. You could, but in case you haven't listened to our Yosemite episode, the Glacier Point area, which was one of the five areas uh, we talked about, will be closed all of 2022. Mm-hmm, that's true. Yeah. Um, also, we came out with an episode, seemed like forever ago, number 17, which was all about Sequoia and Kings Canyon. And, you know, you had mentioned, let's see, let me look back at this, two days in Sequoia and one day in Kings Canyon. I think that's pretty good because they're right next to each other. I might switch it and do one day in Sequoia and two days in Kings Canyon. But if you're staying close to the park, you could certainly make that determination at the last minute, you know, depending on what you've what you've done and what you want to see there. But I think that's a reasonable amount of time. So Kristen's now completely confused. (laughs) She's got to go back to Smoky Mountain National Park, go hike up to Mount Lacan again, see the 
see the llamas that uh, they have up on at Mount Lacant Lodge there, and maybe go to Gatlinburg, go to, to a rock shop or two. So yeah, that's, hope hope this helps. That's really your best bet, yeah. Kristen. Just ignore everything we said and go back to to Great Smoky Mountains National yeah. Park. Why why do people ask us our opinion? <laughs> Just this. I'm not sure we're the right ones, but this. Is our mailbag episode. So we're that's right. People ask us questions and we will answer. Yeah. So I hope this made some sense, but I, I think maybe I'd take another look at your itinerary and try to consolidate it maybe more to just one state. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Let's confuse the next questioner. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes from Tiffany in Tennessee. You're making this stuff up. <laughs> you made that one up. I sometimes you make them up and I can tell. No, I did not make this one up. It just sounds really great, doesn't it? Tiffany from Tennessee. Yeah. I that were my name. All right. Tiffany has two questions for us. I'll read the first one and let's talk about that and then I'll read the second one. Okay. When you were writing your books, how did you decide who was going to write the email for that day, that park? Hmm. How did we decide? <laughs> well, um, I think that... I just assumed that I was going to write all of them, and then you had many of them that you had a strong opinion or something that you wanted to say, so you just kind of volunteered. Like, you cherry-picked all the ones that you wanted to write about, and then I I just wrote the others. Yeah, I had some strong feelings about the way Matt was behaving in some of the parks, <laughs> you know, some of his OCD tendencies and, and some of the things he did and said. So those were the emails that I wanted to write because I, I thought that if Matt wrote them, those those things would get left out. So I did kind of cherry pick the ones. Yeah, I don't have nearly as many emails, Matt, as you do. I'm not sure how that <laughs> Well, I, w- I, wanted to, I wanted to get the book finished. <laughs> So I just kept writing them. But that said, and and I've said this before, anything that I wrote, you did all the editing, which probably, I'm guessing, probably took you longer to review, edit, give me suggestions than, than the actual writing. I, I think throughout the book, we probably spent the same amount of time on it. Well, that's true. I tell you that we did struggle with some of the parks because... It's not so much that the parks weren't interesting. It's just that, you know, sometimes you go to a park and and maybe you do a hike and, and it's perfectly fine, but it's really nothing that you would write a book about. And so there were some of those parks where, you know, we looked at what we did and we thought, how are we going to write about this to people? Or it wasn't necessarily boring, but it was just there was nothing that you would think, okay, we need to tell somebody about this <laughs> thing. And so we uh, relied... A lot of those times, I think we relied on dialogue conversations that we had that might be funny. I mean, you know, you go to a park for a day and a half. There's got to be some humorous interaction between you in in a day or a day and a half. And and so we, we tried to pull those out. Right. And I think people did respond to the dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it, too. If you dig a little bit into the park history or, or maybe some of the things that make the park special – you know, you'll come up with some ideas like the black-footed ferrets. and The, the black-footed ferrets in the Badlands. They thought they were extinct. I'm not going to tell the whole story now because <laughs> I, I, I'm not auditioning for the Nature Channel. Animal Planet. I could do Animal Planet. <laughs> if no. Animal Planet calls, look for the podcast titled Karen Who. 
No, the Blackfoot. Okay, so no, you've and, discouraged me. I'm not going to tell and, the story well, of the Blackfoot of Ferret. I'm not going to do it. You had a riveting page or two about uh, prairie dogs, the prairie dog town, pea dogs. The pea dogs? Uh-huh. I did, but um, now I'm not going to say it. I'm saving it for my <laughs> Animal Planet audition. All right, you save it. Blackfooted ferrets are part of the weasel family, by the way. <laughs> so you're not saving it. <laughs> they were thought to be extinct, and then some guy's dog killed one and brought it home to his master. To He wanted his master to be proud of him for killing a, a, a weasel, and they turned out to be a blackfooted ferret that they thought were extinct. Yeah, we shared that story on the Badlands episode. Oh, already told the yeah, story. and how it's, that dog saved the entire species of blackfooted ferrets. So... And, very riveting and such a happy ending. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, anyway, Tiffany, so yeah, we kept notes throughout our trips of what we did and kind of, you know, anything funny that might have happened to us and some of the things we talked about. And then we went back and and I did kind of cherry pick the ones that I, that I wanted to do and, and Matt did the rest of them. Do we have any more questions? <laughs> yes. Tiffany from Tennessee has had one more question. Okay. So this, this was a two for email, which we do allow. We do allow two mailbag questions per email. So our second one was... Do you have any favorite hikes that you have done over and over and over again? A hike that no matter how many times you have visited the park, you would still do this hike again. Hmm. And yeah, the I think to that is yes. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. I jotted down a few. Matt, you might have some others that you could come up with too, but I do have a few I thought we could mention. Yeah, I see on your outline that you've jotted down my answers for me. <laughs> but yeah, so one of them is in Canyonlands in the Needles District, that Chesler Park Joint Trail Loop, even though we've almost died more than once doing that hike, mm-hmm. we always go back and do it. Always. Well, and we drag people with us now. We take people friends. with us now. And uh, we almost killed John and Lolly on that trail because we were hiking at a 103 degree temperature. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that's that's one. That is one. Also in Utah at Arches National Park, we talked about this on the Arches episode, the Devil's Garden Primitive Loop. We have probably done that, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 times. Every time we go to the park, we do that one. There is a hike that's not in a in national park, but it's in a great public land in southern Utah, northern Arizona, which is Buckskin Gulch. It's a slot canyon. It's the same parking lot that people use to hike to the wave. But Buckskin Gulch, if we are ever in the area and we have time, we definitely do that hike. Yes, an incredible slot canyon. And we've talked to a lot of people who have tried to do it and they have been turned back because the canyon was flooded and they didn't want to hike through, you know, thigh high stank water. But what's kind of unusual is that we have hiked it maybe four or five times. There has been no water in it. And I think only once we were turned back, which is is pretty remarkable, I'd say. I think it's worth doing even if you get turned around for thigh-high stank water (laughs) at the earliest spot where there could be thigh-high stank water, because even getting to that point, it's a cool hike. It is. There's a lot to love about Buckskin Gulch. We have talked about that on several other episodes as well. Uh, And then in Bryce Canyon, our favorite hike we've done many times is the Fairyland Loop Hike. Love Mm -hmm. that one. Yeah, closer to home in the North Cascades National Park, the Maple Pass Loop, also Cutthroat Pass, which is 
very close to that. They don't start in the National Park, but up at the top, you, you go into the park just a little bit. But those are incredible. I hate to even say this, but they're even more incredible during lark season, which is about two weeks, late September, early October, when the larches turn color. Spectacular hikes. Yes, world-class. Then in Zion National Park, we've talked about this one a lot, the hike up to Scout Lookout, which is the basically the base of Angel's Landing, the part where the chains start. And then we continue up on the West Rim Trail. We do that one over and over again every time we go to the park. Yeah, and when we're in uh, Glacier, if we get back to the Many Glacier area, we always do the Grinnell Glacier Trail. Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous hike. Yeah, and that said, though, if you're ever there for maybe two or three days and are looking for other hikes, there's Cracker Lake, which is a spectacular hike. There's Tarmogen Tunnel and Iceberg Lake, so that many glacier area has some great hikes. Mm -hmm. But Grinnell Glacier is our favorite in that area. Yeah, I think you can't beat it because it, it has a couple of gorgeous turquoise lakes that you're hiking above. There is a chance you're going to see some spectacular wildlife like moose and grizzly. And, of course, you are hiking up to the base of this glacier. So it has a lot going for it. And if we go to Grand Teton, singular, National Park, mm -hmm. uh, we love doing the Cascade Canyon, which is uh, an extension of the Jenny Lake Trail on the backside of the lake. Yes. It seems like that's a routine when we, we get to the park and... We don't even have to decide. We go do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And the last one I have on our list is not a national park or a national forest. It's actually a state park, Custer State Park. We love the hike up to Black Elk Peak. There is a an old historic stone fire tower up there. But what we do is we hike up one trail up to the lookout, and then we hike back down this loop and we go by Little Devil's Tower, and that was a really fun scramble up there. I mean, at the top, the, the views are spectacular mm -hmm. of the Black Hills, and that is a magnificent lookout tower. We've been to a, a lot of lookout towers, and nothing is as unique and interesting as the one at, at Black Elk Peak. And if you're in the area and you're looking for it, there's still some old signs and old maps that call it Harney Peak, mm -hmm. uh, but it's now officially uh, named Black Elk Peak. Yes. If you go to Custer State Park, do not miss that one. The trailhead is over by Sylvan Lake. All right. Do you have any more off the top of your head, Matt, that you wanted to mention? I bet there's probably another five, six, seven more that that we have. I mean, we love, and when we go to the Grand Canyon, we love doing the Bright Angel Trail. And mm -hmm. if, if we have the opportunity or reason to, hiking down to Phantom Ranch and back. But uh, yeah, the ones we mentioned here, those, if you're ever in any of those parks, definitely check them out. And that is it for today's mailbag. So if you have questions for future mailbag episodes, we would love for you to send them to us. Our email address is mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. And are you saying that they have to ask two questions? <laughs> no, I'm saying that they could ask two they questions. They could? What about three? <laughs> what if they ask seven questions? What if they ask a question, but it has a lot of questions in it? Do, are you limiting them? No. Ask as many questions as you want, and we will cherry pick through your questions okay. and answer the ones that we, we have yeah, an answer to. We have an answer to. Or, <laughs> That's right. There you go. All right. 
thanks for tuning into this mailbag episode. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you took a second to leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next week, we're heading to the great state of Maine, where we'll be showcasing Acadia National Park. We'll have some hiking suggestions, some scenic drives we'd recommend, and a cooking demonstration on how to make their famous popovers. Are we gonna we're gonna do the demonstration on on our podcast episode? Well, okay, not so much a demonstration as an explanation. Remember, they they can't see us. I'm just reading the outline that you put in front of me. But you'll have the popovers here in the studio, right? Well, we'll see. It depends if I can find my popover pan. I I think that went missing a long time ago. And if you can get them to pop. That's key.